John chapter 1. It is good to be here with you today, and it's good to... Man, the left side really showed out today, so y'all win a prize, I don't know. Um, but it is good to be here, and it's good to hear you guys singing with us, and I hope you're ready to hear a, a sermon from John chapter 1 as we conclude this first chapter today. It only took us five weeks or so, but that's all right. Before we read the text... Um, I want to ask you a question, and I want you to answer this question just to yourself, in your mind, in your heart, and nobody can answer this question for you, you can only answer it for yourself. And the question this morning is, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And I think most of us should have an answer for that question. The answer should be, yes, I know in whom I have believed, and I follow Christ, or you might be here thinking, I'm just not sure. And I just don't know, I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus. And if that's you, if you're in that category, then I hope you'll listen very closely to this sermon. And as I preach it, continue to ask yourself, am I a follower of Christ? But I want to make sure we understand there's a difference between being a follower of Jesus and some other things. I'm not asking this morning, are you a member of a church? Or are you a good person? Or have you been baptized? None of those things. What I'm asking is, are you a follower of Christ? And what we're going to see in this text is that if you are a follower, then you have given your life to Christ in faith, in love, and in obedience. And all three of those are a part of it. You put your faith in Christ, you love Him, and you obey him as best you can with your life. That's what a follower is. And what we're going to see again in, in these verses today is that as disciples or followers of Christ, it will be a part of who we are to desire that other people also be followers of Christ. And I hope you'll see that in John 1, 35. If you found verse 35, say word. Let's try that again. If you found verse 35, say word. Oh, yeah. Listen closely as I read God's word. Again, the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two men which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which being interpreted is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, or John. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Verse 43. 
The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile or deceit. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. In the first century, in the time that Jesus lived, in the time we have the New Testament written, um, young boys, particularly, at home would be taught the Old Testament, the Torah, from their fathers. They would teach them the Old Testament, the law, the word. And they would also teach them a trade. For example, um, they might become, if their parents, if their dad's a fisherman, right, he, might, he will teach the boys to become fishermen. If the dad's a carpenter, teach the children to become carpenters. Well, some of these young men, when they turn about 13 years old or so, they would want to study further into things like religion or become a scribe or a lawyer or a judge of some kind. And so back in those days, if you're going to take that route, you would find a person to study under. You would find a mentor. And you would become that person's disciple. You would, you would learn from them, follow them, and just see what their way of life could teach you. And that was a common, very common thing in the New Testament. And we understand that Paul actually studied under a, a well-known, um, a, guy, a guy named Gamaliel, who's a well-known rabbi, and Paul studied under him. We see here in this text that John the Baptist had two disciples standing near him. And we, of course, know that people, that Jesus had disciples. And so I want you to think about this morning, as I've already asked you, are you a follower of Jesus? Another way to ask that is, are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you, do you learn from him? Do you care about his way of life? And we're going to see some disciples here, and I hope they will help us understand how we also follow Jesus. So we're going to kind of just walk through these verses again this morning. We'll go back to verse 35 and walk through them. But, but basically, here's the story. Jesus, I mean, John the Baptist is there. We, we, we read last week, he's preaching to this, this group of people. He's saying, there's one among you who's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God. He's, he's the one who's going to be slain for the sins of the world. And he's preaching to the crowd. And so now we fast forward in verse 35 to the next day. And John, again, is standing around doing his ministry. But he has two men with him. These are two young men who are his disciples, who are following John, who are learning from John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, just as he had done the day before, if you look at verses 35 and 36, he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, here is the Messiah. 
here is the Lamb of God. And again, we've, we've kind of talked about this a good bit. The Lamb is that picture of Jesus who would be sacrificed for our sins. And he says, here is the Lamb. And so in verse 37, when these two disciples heard it, they followed Jesus. Now one thing I think is interesting here is that John the Baptist did not desire to hoard his disciples. Right? If John the Baptist wanted to grow his own big group of disciples, then he could have just said, don't worry about that guy, come follow me. Right? But what was John doing the whole time? Pointing people to Christ. This, just to make an application here, um, this, this, what I'm saying is similar to some churches now who want to just get as many people as they can and hoard them. You know what a good sign of a good church or growing church would be? Is that people in church would say, you know what? God's calling me to go over here and do ministry. God's calling me to go on the mission field or become a pastor or a ministry in some kind and, and go somewhere else. And to be a church that not only brings people in, but, but to be a church that sends people out. That's a good thing for us to pray about for our church. You see, we don't want to hoard disciples. We, want, we do want people to come. We want a lot of people to come. And I love the crowd we have this morning. And I want us to come and learn about Christ. But we come here and, and worship so that we might go out there and serve. So we don't, our goal is not just to hoard disciples. John the Baptist knew that he was a light in this world, but he knew that Jesus was the light of the world. And he was going to point everyone to Christ. Look, it's good to follow a particular church and be a member of a church. It's good to follow a particular pastor. There, I've had mentors in my life, pastors who've mentored me, and, and even authors who I've read after reading books who've been a mentor to me in that way. But we all understand, ultimately, we are to follow Jesus first, right? Follow him first. So in verse 37, these two men, these two disciples from John start following Jesus. But look at verse 38. He walk, they walk up to Jesus, this is kind of funny, and Jesus looks at them and goes, uh, what, are what are y'all looking for? You know, what, are you, what, are you, what are you looking after? What, what are you asking for? And these two disciples walk up, and, and look at verse 38 again. It says at the end of it, they ask, where are you staying? Where do you live? I've read here that Jesus probably lived in a very humble abode. Some scholars believe at this time he might have even been staying just in a random cave. Uh, we know he was, you know, you know, walked around a lot and things like that. So some believe that. So Jesus, where are you? Why do you think these disciples asked Jesus, where are you staying? Where are you staying overnight tonight? Where are you, you going to be? I think they asked because they wanted to know more. They wanted to go spend some time with him. They wanted to find out if what John said is true. Is this actually the Savior, the Messiah, the Lamb of God? And so the scripture tells us here that Jesus said in verse 39, Come and see. I love this. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. See the Lamb of God. And now Jesus says, Come and see. We're going to see that multiple times in this text. Jesus knew that they were seeking, and Jesus offered an invitation. We serve a God, by the way, who offers an invitation. And some people have asked me, by the way, at our church, like, why don't we have a, a typical, quote-unquote, Baptist invitation at the end of our service, where we have a song and all that kind of stuff, and, and here's what I always respond. Every moment of this service is an invitation. 
every moment of this sermon is an invitation. If God is calling you even now to stop listening to me and to pray and to turn to him, then that's what you should do. All the sermon is an invitation, not just two minutes at the end or five minutes at the end. This is an invitation. And our God is an inviting God, just as Christ was an inviting Savior to these men. Nobody in this room today can say, I want to be a Christian, but God doesn't give me the opportunity. If you're hearing my voice, if you're hearing the gospel message that God saves those who call on him, and if you believe in that, then you can follow him. Verse 40. So, verse 40, we find out what one of these disciples' names was, by the way. The other one is not told. Most people believe it actually was John, the writer of this gospel. We can speak to that later, but for now, we see that one's name was Andrew. Andrew. I, I love the disciple Andrew so much so that I named my second son after this disciple. Did you know that? Okay. The name Andrew also means manly. It also means manly, but I named you after the disciple in the Bible. But you are manly. Verse 41, notice what Andrew does. And this is why I like him so much. The first thing he does in verse 41, after finding the Messiah, he goes and finds his brother and says, we found the Messiah. This is crazy because Andrew is not one of those disciples we think about. He's not mentioned many times. We think about Simon Peter, don't we? He's the out front guy. He's a leader. He's a, he's a spoke a lot. He preached, the, preached on the day of Pentecost. He wrote some letters in the New Testament. We think about Simon Peter as that out front leader, and he was. We even think about James and John, those other fishermen who, who were very mentioned in Scripture. It's a key moments. But we don't usually think about Andrew that much, probably. But I'm going to submit to you today that we should. Because he gives us an example that we should do our best to follow. He saw the Messiah. He, he spent time with Jesus. He was convinced Jesus is the Savior. And the first thing he did was to think, I need to go tell my loved one that we found the Savior. And he goes and gets his brother Simon Peter and brings him to Jesus. Verse 42 I love that phrase, and he brought him to Jesus. I remember when I was probably 18 or so, I, got, I became really active in my church, and I drove a 1986 Ford Bronco, which I loved, by the way. I wish I still had it. Um, and I remember when I first got active in our, our Wednesday night service at church, especially, and even Sunday morning, too, and Sunday nights, um, but Wednesday nights we had a youth service, a pretty large gathering. Usually there was between 80 and 100 teenagers there. And, but I, I was so excited about the Lord. I was so excited about my relationship with Christ. I was reading my Bible every day and praying as best I could and trying to grow in Christ. And one of the first things I did was start taking people with me to church. And back in those days, there was a time period there, maybe even a, a year or two, where I hardly ever went to church without a friend or a cousin with me. And I would drive around and fill that little Bronco up with people. And, and I would just, I wanted other people to experience what I was experiencing, which was that 
God had saved me and made me new and given me eternal life, and I wanted them to know it. I hope and pray that me taking them to the church also brought them to Jesus. But as we look at this, we know Andrew was, was good at this. Someone wrote, I think it was John MacArthur wrote, almost every time we see Andrew in the gospel accounts, he is bringing someone to Christ. I'll give you one other example. If you have your Bible there, turn to John chapter 6. Now we'll probably look at this here in a couple of months, but look at John 6. You know the story here. Thousands of people, they're hungry. There's not enough food to go around. And in John 6, verse 5, it says, When Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he saith unto Philip, another disciple, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for Jesus himself knew what he would do. And Philip said, Hey, we don't have enough. Philip said in verse 7, we don't have enough to feed them. But look at verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, Here is a lad here, there is a lad here, which has five loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Now again, I think these disciples certainly lacked a little faith in in what Jesus could do, but I still like the, the, the idea here that Andrew the disciple said, well, Jesus, here's a young man that has five loaves and, and two fishes or whatever it was. And he brought this young man to Jesus. Again, we see this picture of him and what an example for us. And so the question for us today is, for Christians is, do we bring other people to Christ? Do we bring other people even to church? But do we also try to bring them more importantly to Christ? Do we think it's too awkward, too weird, too complicated? Let me give you three quick steps to bring someone to Christ. You ready? Number one, pray for them. If we believe God saves, then why would we not pray to Him to save a lost soul? We would, right? If we really believe God is the one who saves, and we preach that weekly around here, that God must do it, if we believe it's the power of God that saves sinners, we must pray, we should pray and ask God to save those we, we want to see saved. And if we're not praying for the lost, then either we don't care about them or we don't believe God can save them. I know it's kind of a blunt statement, but my point is all Christians, we should have at least one and probably many lost people that we're praying for. Number two, a second step is Not only should we pray for them, number two, we should talk with them about the things of God. Talk with them about the things of God. You don't have to know it all to share a little with someone. You don't have to know everything about the Scripture. You don't have to have the books of the Bible memorized or the Ten Commandments memorized. You can share the basic truth of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, what He has done with someone else. Every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room, if you are a Christian, God can help you speak with one person at a given time and say, God loves you. God sent his son for you. I know that might seem awkward, but we can do it. A third way is to love them and serve them with the love of Christ. Pray for them, talk with them. Love and serve them. Oftentimes, small acts of kindness 
open a door to share the good news. I've seen this before in ministry. Sometimes we may go out and do something and, and I've, maybe you, you give someone some money or something like that or you, you buy somebody a tank of gas or you give them some food. As soon as you give someone this act of kindness, my experience has been they're open to hear you talk for at least a few minutes. And so as we serve people, as we love people, opportunities will come up to share with them about Christ. Look, let's go back to our text now. Let's go back to John 1, verse 42. So Andrew, this disciple, brings his brother Simon Peter, and Jesus says there in verse 42, You're Simon, you shall be called Cephas, which is to be interpreted a stone, and we will talk more about that later. But basically he just gives Peter this this other name to, be, to go by, which was common back then to have multiple names. And so that ends that part of the story. Let's go to verse 43. Now we're, we're fast forwarding in verse 43 to another day. It's the next day and Jesus is going to go down to Galilee and notice here he finds another disciple. Now we don't see John the Baptist preaching here. We don't see Andrew going out bringing people to Jesus here. We see Jesus seeking after this man named Philip. And he comes to Philip and he says to him very simply, follow me. Follow me. Come be my disciple. Come learn from me. Verse 44, we see that Philip was from the same place as Andrew and Peter. And in verse 45, notice what Philip does. What's his first response? He goes and finds someone else to tell them about Jesus. Isn't that good? John the Baptist is proclaiming Christ. Andrew is bringing his brother to Christ. And Philip says, I'm going to get this, this buddy of mine. And he tells him, we found him. We found the one that the Old Testament points to, that Moses points to, the prophets point to. We have found him. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip goes and gets this man named Nathaniel, which also in the other scriptures, and the other gospels, Nathaniel is known as Bartholomew. But here we'll call him Nathaniel. Look what Nathanael says in verse 46. He says, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I thought that's funny. Is there a place around here, a community around here where you would say that? Don't say it out loud. But I grew up in a community called Sharon, which is the north side of Laurel. And I was talking to a friend of mine from there the other day, and we were talking about how many people, you know, in our community grew up in, like, didn't become very much. None of us became famous, hardly. None of us, you know, but it can be said about my community where I grew up. Can anything good come out of Sharon? And the idea here is, is Nathaniel's like, Nazareth? Are you sure? And Philip says, well, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Verse 47, Jesus sees Nathaniel coming toward him, and he makes this Kind of a weird statement maybe to us. He says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile, in whom is no deceit. And here's what I think Jesus meant there. I think Nathaniel was a man of faith who was kind of living out that, maybe that Old Testament faith, and he was looking for the Messiah. And he, he, I think he was a man trying to do the right things, trying to live the right way. And which is interesting that if he's doing that, why would he doubt that this is Christ? But look at the next verse, 48. Nathanael said, how do you know me? Jesus said, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. 
And so Jesus kind of reveals that he knew who he was before he knew who he was. And Nathaniel goes, uh, okay, this guy's something different. <laughs> He's different. He's calling me out. He, he knows something. Well, look at the next verse. He says, Rabbi, teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. He was convinced that it was Jesus, and he made this declaration of faith. You are. I would imagine that all of us who are Christians, when we were born again, we said something similar where we said, you are Savior. You are King. You are Lord. We at least said that probably in our hearts if we didn't say it out loud. A declaration of faith. Look at verse 50. Jesus answered him, Behold, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? Did Nathaniel see greater things than these? He did, didn't he? We're going to see it in, in, in the next week. He began to see Jesus do many miracles. And so many things he saw. Verse 51. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And this is, again, maybe weird for us to read this here in the New Testament. Let me try to explain this. And, and I believe Nathaniel was probably under that fig tree studying the Old Testament. I believe he's studying the Word of God. And it was, it was kind of something that, that religious people would do in that time, find a nice shade tree and spend time in prayer and reading the Bible reading their Bible, their Old Testament, their, their Torah. And some scholars believe that as Nathaniel was under this tree studying, that he might have been studying Genesis chapter 28, where we read about Jacob seeing this ladder to heaven, where the angels are going up and down this ladder to heaven. Some believe that maybe Nathaniel was kind of studying that passage. And so Jesus looks at him and says, you're going to see the heavens open and angels descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. Now, now that's a, again, you can take that verse and you can make some theories with it, but the point that I want to bring to us today is that he's telling this man, he's showing this man that he, is, he knows more than this guy thinks. He's giving this guy a glimpse into the fact that he truly is the Christ. So the first disciples, Andrew, Peter, um, James and John, Philip and Nathaniel. Later, by the way, we read in Matthew 4, Jesus comes to these fishermen, Andrew, Peter, James and John, and he says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And all these disciples, including the others, we know there are 12, begin to follow Jesus Christ. So I want to give you now three applications that I've kind of drawn from this text. So if you're taking notes, I would jot these down. I think we'll also have them on the screen for you. Number one, exalting Jesus is our goal. And the church says, amen. It's our goal to lift up, to praise, to glorify, to worship, to honor Jesus. And if that isn't your goal, it should be. All right? It should be to exalt him. And I mean... Our preaching, our praying, our singing, our giving, our serving should all be motivated by a desire in us to glorify Christ. But what I find, and we're all guilty of this, is that sometimes 
we, we come to this church on Sunday just to mark that off our spiritual checklist, right? Are we seeing just because, well, that's just what we do. When our desire should be, I want to see Jesus lifted up and glorified and exalted. We were created to give God glory. You were created to give God glory with your life. You're like, well, I'm not super spiritual. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a singer. I don't like to pray out in front of people. I, that, none of that matters. What matters is you were created to give God glory in the ways he has, in the way he has made you. Whatever job he's put you in, whatever family he's put you in, whatever church he's put you in, you're made to exalt Jesus in that place. And the scripture says, God said, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, were made for his glory. And here's the sad thing is, we go through life, I think, sometimes, and we think about our ups and downs, our wins and losses, our victories and our struggles, and oftentimes we spend so much time on those things that we neglect what really matters, exalting Jesus Christ. John the Baptist exalted Christ, and he was a bold proclaimer, wasn't he? He was bold in his proclamation. And he later on ended up you know, dying, but he was, John the Baptist was a bold proclaimer. And so you might think, I'm not that guy. Well, how about Andrew? Are you an Andrew? He's not a, he wasn't a bold proclaimer as much as we can tell in Scripture, but he would exalt Jesus by bringing people to Jesus. How about Philip? He just told a friend, come and see Jesus. Lord, help us to refocus our life goal that it might be not about us, but about Christ. Our second application, and it's similar, but exalting Jesus is our mission. Exalting Jesus is our church's and all Christians' mission. Go therefore, Matthew 28 says, and make disciples of all nations. I mistyped that. It should say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I am with you to the end of the age. That's the great commission, and a part of that is our lifting up Christ. I wrote this prayer this week as I studied this part of the sermon. I wrote, Lord, forgive us for living lives where we focus on temporary gains. Forgive us for only worrying about earthly accomplishments. Forgive us for seeking fame or fortune or other earthly things. Forgive us for putting our own concerns and frustrations and problems ahead of our mission. Our mission is to exalt Christ. I want you to fill in this blank. Don't say it out loud. Say it to yourself. You ready? I can't exalt Jesus because blank. Can you put something in there? I can't serve Jesus. I can't love Jesus. I can't follow Jesus because of blank. Do you have something in your blank? Well, I'm just too young to serve Jesus. It's not true. I'm just too old to serve Jesus. That's not true. I'm too, I'm too 
poor to serve Jesus. I'm too wealthy to serve Jesus. I'm too smart to serve Jesus. What's the opposite of smart? I'm not smart enough to serve Jesus. I didn't want to say dumb. I'm sick all the time, so I can't serve Jesus. Are any of those good reasons not to exalt Jesus Christ? They're not reasons. They're excuses. And if you are making an excuse why you can't serve him, you need to repent of that and drop that excuse today. Every one of us who are born again, who are believers in Christ, can and should be exalting him as our mission in this life. There's a lady named Joni Erickson Tata. Have you ever heard of Miss Joni Erickson Tata? She's born in, I think, late 60s. And at, at age 17, she dove off into a body of water, and it was too shallow, and she uh, messed up her vertebrae. And so for, for most of her life, she's been paralyzed from the shoulders down. Paralyzed from the shoulders down. But I would encourage you to find some stuff she's written and read some of the things she's written, because she has used her life to serve God in a great way. And I think to myself, if she can do that, my excuses don't sound very good. My reasons don't sound very good. We're going to see later in the, in, the, in, the, in the Gospels where Jesus says, hey, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to follow me, then you, you must deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow me. And one man tells Jesus, well, I can't follow you right now, Jesus. I've got to do this other stuff. And Jesus says, right? He says, if you put your hand on the plow and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. So to follow Jesus is to get rid of excuses and to turn to him and say, whatever it is you have for me, Lord, I'm, I'm going to do it. So that's surrender. Most of these disciples that we read about today and that we, we'll read about in the gospel, most of them followed Jesus all the way until their death. Most of them traditionally, what we understand traditionally, have been were martyred for following Christ. Really, millions of people have died for Christ. And sometimes we won't even live for Him. I hope that encourages us to do so. Number three, our third and our final application, expanding the kingdom is the result. When we exalt Jesus as we ought to do, he will expand his kingdom. It may not be as fast as we want to see his kingdom expanded, right? It may not be the way we want it, but he will expand it. Our goal, listen, our goal is not primarily to promote our church, our pastor, our ministries. Our primary goal is to proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now in doing so, of course, I hope we'll talk good about our church, I hope we'll talk good about our pastor and our ministries. But proclaiming Christ is the goal, it's the mission, and it is the tool God uses. It's the way God brings people to Christ. And here at our church, we're not going to water down the gospel. We're not going to water down preaching. We're not going to invent new cool ways to bring people to Christ. We're going to use the way God has ordained, and that is preaching, praying, and serving Him. So what we're going to do. And, and you might say, well, I just wish we had more people 
you know, being baptized or joining the church. We all want that. But we also want to make sure we're doing that in the way God has laid out. And I believe if we exalt Christ in these ways we've laid out, following the pattern of John the Baptist, following the pattern of Andrew and Philip, if we follow this pattern of telling people, hey, come and see, come and hear, let me tell you about Jesus, he will, in his own time, in his own way, expand his kingdom. In Acts 2, it says, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We call on the Lord to add to our number here at our church. And these disciples, by the way, they didn't just grow. I mean, they didn't just, it wasn't addition, it was really multiplication. The two disciples became four, the four became six, the six became twelve, the twelve became eleven. Then they became, then they became twelve again, and then they, then they became a hundred and twenty. Then they became thousands, and then they become tens of thousands. And God's plan for all of that, God's plan for growing the church is the church. And the church doing the things it's supposed to do. Do you want to see more people follow Jesus? Do you want to be a disciple who makes disciples? Then keep doing the ordinary things of God while calling on the extraordinary power of God through prayer. If we want to be disciples who make disciples, we must continue doing the ordinary things and leaving the extraordinary in God's hands. At the end of our lives, do you think, just imagine that, at the end of your life, you're on your deathbed, you think you'll look back and think, I wish I would have been famous. You think you'll think that? I've read a lot of deathbed confessions. I've never read one where somebody said, I just wish I would have been famous. Do you think we'll look back and say, man, I just wish I would have been rich. wish I had more money. That's not what people think about either. What do you think we'll be thinking about? I wish I would have spent more time with my family, the people I care about. Probably. But we also might think, I wish I'd have done more for the Lord. I wish I'd have done more for His kingdom. I wish I'd have been a better disciple. Well, church, let's don't wait until then. Let's, even today, make a new commitment. I want to be a disciple who makes disciples. Doing the ordinary things of God, prayer, Bible reading, service, and trusting that God will do the extraordinary in the way He sees fit. There's a quote, I don't know who said this, but this quote is about perseverance. And I want to give you this here at the end. It says, when nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stone cutter hammering away at his rock. Perhaps he hits the rock a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not that blow that did it, but all that had gone before. All that we've done for Christ in your life and in this church, you may not always see the immediate fruit of it, but there will be fruit of it. And our job is to just keep hitting the stone and let God bring about those results. Let's exalt Him. Let's pray.